The final week of spring training has arrived in 10 days on April 1st. It's no April Fools. The Yankees will open their 2021 season in the Bronx against the Blue Jays with almost 11,000 fans at Yankee Stadium. We'll discuss who might make the last few roster spots as we hammer out the 26 guys leaving Tampa to make their way up north to New York. We also chat with a two-time World Series champion, Yankees infielder Bucky Dent. All that plus another Q&J is next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran with Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You can follow Nelly on Twitter at NYNelly43 and Instagram, uh, where he is posting a lot more often now. That's at Jeff dot nelson 43 you'll hear our producer jake brown pop in from time to time especially at the beginning here we talk about fans we'll chat later in the show with a two-time champion yankees infielder in 1977 and 1978 it's bucky rhymes with ducking dent hello everybody and hello jeff how are you buddy i'm good i'm good i've never posted on instagram so much i didn't until about six months ago and all of a sudden my daughter and some friends say you got to post more and i'm like i don't know why i went off facebook because i don't like it but instagram it's it's fun you can do the little live action it was at uh, one of my friends played some music down at the wayland down here in uh, new york city so it's been fun i was watching that uh Shearney. he was singing new york new york he was singing all sorts of ballads in florida you know, yeah. it was funny because they played they played Neil uh, Neil Diamond. I'm like, oh, my gosh, here's a Red Sox song. I said, they have to follow it up. And this is before they even played it. They have to follow it up with New York, New York. And sure enough, the guy plays New York, New York. And I was like, oh, there we go. Now now we're talking. Well, since you brought it up, uh, I went up to Boston to do an Ivy League football game. And Jake's Ivories was in the shadow of the Green Monster. And it was a dueling piano bar. And uh, one of my friends and I went up there and we – put money on the table with New York, New York. And he started playing. He kind of gave me this sly grin. He started playing it. He goes, I have to play this. I got $5 to play this. You have to get more than that to, to stop it. <laughs> and then a couple of Red Sox fans ran up to the other piano, gave the guy $6 until a couple of uh, ladies from Long Island stepped in and put a 50 on oh, our there we piano go. and uh, they played the entire New York, New York song. So a very good memory up there in Boston uh, in the shadow of the green monster and uh, having Bucky Dent on today, that that's a great story to tell when you're going to have <laughs> Bucky Dent on the program. But Jeff, let's talk about the weather starting to get warm. It's going to be spring soon. And uh, we got some great news right after we taped our podcast. Actually, when we taped our podcast, we thought there were only going to be 10% capacity but we just got the word right after the podcast last week that it's going to be bumped up to 20%. That's close to 11,000 fans at Yankee Stadium. That's great news, not only for the fans, but for the players as well, because you hear it in the NBA uh, with players saying, you know, it was just weird not having fans here and having sounds pumped in. So you know the players really need the fans, whether it's at home to cheer them on and get behind them or on the road to boo them, because you know both of those things injects competitiveness into your veins 
It does. You know, I, I, I was hearing rumblings of maybe 30%. And then all of a sudden I see it was 20, 20% with that 10,800. So, you know, the fans are back. It's exciting. And, and I'm glad when I went and I did that spring training game, it was even nice to see what 1800 fans in the stands. So just to have that noise and you don't have to have the pumped in noise that they had last year, they're just gonna have to get louder. Those 10,800, cause there's going to be people in the suites or people up in the upper deck. Uh, they'll just have to get louder and, and uh, hopefully make those uh, Yankee players feel feel at home and and you know give it to the other team because that's what the Yankee baseball is all about that's what playing in the Bronx is all about is is you know having those passionate fans or stand up for their team I mean even give their home team a little a little ribbing every now and then but it's going to be exciting to have these guys back yeah and I'm sure all fans across New York the rabbit ears went up when they heard the 20 percent even the masochistic Mets fans like our buddy Jake Brown our producer uh they they want to be in the stadium but Jake what's going on with tickets I mean what can fans expect with uh the ticket situation going on yeah both the Yankees and Mets it's intriguing because it'll be for the Yankees it'll be 10,800 for the Mets it'll be around 8,400 um obviously City Field holds around uh, 42,000 and the Yankees just over 50. So there's more season ticket holders and plan holders than there are seats. Let's be real. I mean, think about it. A minute, most people have a minimum of two. Some people have four. Some people have eight season tickets. So that's only four or 5,000 people. They have way beyond that. So there's a lot of people that are going to end up getting screwed over and they're going to have to figure out a process because right now they don't even have tickets available on the Mets or Yankees site. There's limited on the secondary market. Opening day, 135 tickets. That's all there is. And the starting price, get this, guys. $370 after fees just to sit in the nosebleeds, no seat back. You got the chance going around, the going through each player around the infield, uh, waving them back. I'm sure a lot of fans will miss that with the bleacher creatures, but the ticket supply is so limited. They're still trying to figure it out. So I know a lot of Yankees and Mets fans, I've heard it on my side. A lot of fans are concerned. They're like, where'd my tickets for April go? They're, they weren't in their accounts. So they're, I think they're still trying to figure out what pods they're going to do, either proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test just to get in the building they're figuring out what sections are going to hold how many people so they're very confused how to figure this out because this is so unprecedented so i would say if you're a fan listening to this worried about going to opening day wait a little bit they're still figuring out a plan and i'd say either late next this week or early next week i'm gonna recheck StubHub and see if you could get in for a couple hundred or uh, a week's paycheck nelly i don't know about you but 370 is a little steep. Uh, I mean, we, we we haven't had fans for so long. I think we can wait a little bit longer. I know that's easy for me to say. I didn't dish out the money to get season tickets. But at the same time, I'd rather just pump the brakes a little bit. How about you? Well, I mean, there's going to be people that pay it. You know, this is the first time since 2019 that a fan has been in the Yankee Stadium or at City Field. So there are going to be people that are going to pay this prices. And only 135 tickets right now. I don't know how many more will go on sale. You know, you're going to have to give some to the general public. And all the season ticket holders, they're going to all want to go as well. I mean, how are you going to work around that? They're not going to, there's not going to be understanding people when it comes to divvying out the season tickets or the tickets in general to opening day or any Yankee game. And I know uh, one of my friends has a suite at Yankee Stadium, and I know there's only 17 people allowed in uh, in some of the suites. So there's going to be that number. And then at the end of April, from what I hear, they're going to they're going to reconvene and maybe adjust just a little bit. So maybe they start upping the attendance and the amount of people that can come into both stadiums. But, you know, it's just going to be a cluster for a while. And I don't know how they're going to do it. Now, that's the secondary market guys so directly from the Yankees right now a single game you cannot get tickets other games around 75 to 100 if you want to see a, another April game that's not opening day I just I think it's um 
I think it would behoove the fans to just uh, hit the brakes a little bit, relax. We, we've been out for an entire year. Uh, we could wait a little bit longer. I know it's tough, especially for the season ticket holders. You put out all that money you expect to be, you expect your fanny to be in a seat, but I'm sure the Yankees have done a great job, not only trying to figure this out, but making the stadium a very COVID safe. Uh, they've been doing this for a very long time uh, throughout last year during the pandemic uh, and leading up to opening day, April 1st against the Blue Jays. So they're doing their very best. We've just been through a global pandemic for crying out loud. So I think people just have to relax, calm down a little bit. And before you know it, uh, things will be back to normal and you'll see fannies in every seat at stadiums across the landscape, Jeff. Well, if you're in Texas, they're going to have 100%. So uh, you can always wait till the Yankees go there and <laughs> and take a trip. It might be cheaper to get a hotel and a flight right now to Texas than it is an opening day ticket. Yeah, but you might you might come back with something. What what, what, what happens in Texas stays in Texas. Get the vaccine, Texas. get the shot, do whatever. I'll be vaccinated Friday, guys. So that's why I'm wait feeding to get in the building. I thought I saw a post yesterday on on uh, social media that you, you had your second shot. No, already. Friday. I said it's coming Friday. So I, I was I was previewing okay. the week ahead for for New York. Better weather, spring baseball, yeah. vaccinations, everything's starting well, to come. I'll to get fruition. my first this week, so I'm there ready. I'm still going to wait. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Shooty will not uh, be in the building. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. When I hear that you could take the mask off for good and you don't have to wear the mask anymore, that's when I'll get the vaccine. How, how's that? Does that does that work for it's you guys? It's bad for our skin. I feel like I'm getting pimples on my face and my skin's getting bad. See? I mean, it needs See? to See, wait, wait till you get that second one. I when see. You're I'm gonna... outside. I don't wear it. Like I said, at six, 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 seven, everything goes down. They don't reach me that high. <laughs> What's the weather up there? <laughs> a little chilly at times. That old gag. All right, let's talk final roster spots on this Yankee team, Jeff. And and last week, you seemed to think that Jay Bruce had a spot. I agree with you. Uh, and what it's coming down to for the last spot is Derek Dietrich, uh, Mike Talkman, and Tyler Wade. And Talkman uh, is out of options. So how do you think this is all going to shake out before the Yankees break camp, come back up to the Bronx to face the Blue Jays? Well, I, I think Bruce, because he's going to have to add him on the 25th. That's this Thursday. Uh, or he can opt out of his contract right. and go somewhere else. So I think they, they need that veteran power. They need a left-handed power. He can play first. And he can also play the outfield. He can DH on occasion. I think you're going to need his presence in that lineup. So I think he makes the team. So they'll have to clear a spot for him. Um, they, you know, with Wade, I, Wade can do so many things. He can play all the outfield positions. He can play the infield positions. He can pinch run. I think he can do a lot more than just Talkman and Dietrich. I, I don't think Dietrich makes the team. He's having a rough spring. Talkman's the only interesting case because, like you mentioned, he, he's out of options. And do they want to lose him? So, you know, I think another team would probably take a chance on, on picking him up because he can play all, all three outfield positions. Plus, he's a left-handed hitter and he has some speed. I mean, he's a decent player. He, he proved that a couple years ago when he came up uh, when the Yankees had some injuries and he played very well. I think he winds up going. I, I think he doesn't make the team because I just don't see where there's room. I think Wade just does too much. And with Talkman, the only way he makes it is if the Yankees are really afraid to lose him. Uh, you know, I think these are, they're going to lose him anyway if they send him down because he's a valuable piece for any team and even a contending team. Uh, but I just don't see him making the team. I just don't see there where there's room. I don't see where they are, they need another outfielder. Just Tyler Wade just do, does too much. He's just too valuable as far as uh, infield and outfield guy.
Yeah, he had a rough season last year, but a lot of players had a rough season last year. It was only 60 games. You, you really couldn't get your legs underneath you for the for the most part for some of these guys. Gary Sanchez is another one. But Talkman could definitely, as you said, Jeff, he could he could be a bench player for another team. He could even start in the outfield right. on some other teams as well. Uh, basically, if we're talking about these three guys making the team at this juncture of spring training, that has to make Yankee fans extremely happy to hear a podcast where we're not talking hold on yes please <laughs> we're not talking There's still, what 10 days left or whatever <laughs> we're yeah. not, and they're all gonna say sharon mushed it but you know we're not talking about big injuries as we inch closer and closer to opening day on april fool's day by the way april 1st when the yankees take on the blue jays in the bronx but the other thing is the other thing that we should be talking about is the rotation and what the Yankees said, what Aaron Boone said they're going to do this week is they're going to have all of their starters throw at different points in the games or have live BP sessions throughout this week. And then they're going to set the rotation going into the season. Now, what I want to ask you, Nelly, is where do you think these guys, besides we know who, who's going to be the number one guy is Garrett Cole, but who do you see slotting into two, three, four, and five? Well, Tyone, you have Kluber. They're going to be your top three. Montgomery has pitched very well in spring training. You need that lefty in, in that rotation. And it's going to be interesting whether it's Herman or, I mean, King even threw well a couple of days ago. And Herman or Garcia. Uh, Garcia, he the, the thing that has happened with him in, in spring so far has been control problems. He walked for his last outing. I don't know if that's going to be a concerning or, or pivotal point for the Yankees to make a decision, hey, we might start him at the alternate site. And just to get him his control back on and, and get it back. And, and that way he can be ready for spring. Because Herman has pitched well. He's pitched well enough that he could he deserves that fifth spot. But I like him as a swing guy. I like him in the bullpen and also right. as a spot starter. There's no minor league spring training, so they have to have these simulated games. And it's really tough to face your own team. If you're a pitcher and you're trying to face your own guys, you kind of you pitch differently. You don't want to go inside. You don't want to knock people down. You're afraid to hit a guy because you're going to hurt your own guys. Uh, usually you go over to the minor league, go over to Himes, and you're facing another organization who who you don't care about hitting. I'm going to do everything that I do during the regular season, and I'm going to get my pitch count up. So that's what the Yankees have to do here. Uh, I was li listening to Blake, the pitching coach, and he was saying that uh, hopefully at spring training by the end, uh, they're going six innings, 85 pitches. Now, it used to be you're getting up to 100, 110, but that's not the case anymore. They like to try to you know, ramp that up in the beginning of the season. But I can understand what they're doing, just trying to get these guys, uh, their arm strength up, their pitch count up, because there's only 10 days left. I want to rewind to the beginning of what you were talking about there just really quick, Jeff. And that was the control issues of Garcia. But you had to like how he loaded the bases there and got out of it. I mean, you see a lot of young pitchers go into those situations, especially early in the game, and they blow up. Matt Blake went out to the mound, talked to him. He settled down, got out of the inning, no runs allowed. So that was a positive for sure. Yeah, it was. I mean, he's got the stuff that he can get out of any jam. And I saw him when I did that game, and I, I had him, and he got out of a few jams in that in that series against the Blue Jays as well. So, you know, he just ha he has the stuff. He's been working on this slider. Uh, his curveball is really good. His changeup is outstanding. He's got a nice fastball. He likes to pitch up in his zone. But a lot of times he works that outside part of the plate. I think it's all mechanical. What I saw in him, it's all mechanical. He doesn't stay back. His arm doesn't get up where in a throwing slot where it should, and he rushes a little bit, and then that's why everything is outside or it's up. His slider's a work in progress. I know he's been throwing that a lot. I saw it. It was a lot of, a lot of pitches in the dirt. 
and, and just like the last time when he walked four. It, you know, it's just control problems. He just has to, you know, dial it back in because he gets really aggressive when he gets in jams and he's got the stuff to get out of it like we saw the last two out. All right, coming up next, we pose questions to Jeff and another Q&J right here on the Pinstripe Pod. All right, time for Q&J now. And Jeff, I have, I guess I'm going to start this with a weird one. Uh, because yes, uh, the other day I had Game 7 back in 2003. And of course, you pitched in that game and did a tremendous job getting big hitter after big hitter out. But my question is, before you came in, you were out in the bullpen. They had a nice little tight shot on Jeff Nelson. I want to take a picture and send it to you to say I was watching the game and I was about to watch you come in. But you had the satin Yankee jacket, a hoodie, and you had the towel around your neck. What was with the? T- I mean, wow, did was I? That, yeah, was oh, that, that was a, that was a pl- in place of a scarf. You know, uh, that was oh, okay. uh, that was scarfs back then. You know, so you know, <laughs> everybody had the towel to keep the neck warm. We didn't have the only heat we had was in that little uh, glass building back in the back, and you could barely see the game from back there in the bullpen. So, and plus we had starters that were coming down. I mean, Wells pitched, Messina pitched. So we had a lot of guys, all hands were on deck. You know, that's only one of the only game sevens. I think it might be the only game seven I've ever played in. I've played in a couple game fives, but only game seven I've ever played in in eight postseasons. Nelly, I'm, I'm looking up online just to see where people rank middle relievers and who might be the greatest. And there's a lot of people that throw your name in the conversation as the greatest non-closer middle reliever of all time. I'm curious. Are you surprised? Uh, no, but <laughs> I'm curious. You, we all have an ego here. I have an ego. You have an ego. We all have an ego. Do you consider yourself the greatest? Do you consider, are you in the Mount Rushmore? Where do you rank yourself uh, in terms of middle relievers? You know, it's funny. I, I always thought, I always wanted to be the best. Uh, you know, it took me a long time to get to the big leagues. I spent almost eight years in the minor leagues and it took me a long time to get there and I wasn't going to go anywhere. And, and you know, you, all these guys look behind and look over their shoulder. There's always somebody trying to take their job. And I'm like, you know what? I got to work extra hard to try to, to try to stay here. Uh, but, you know, I always thought that, you know, you think back now, not, not then when I played, I just considered myself as a contributor to the team. But I, I think I was probably one of the best, if not the best, at my position for a long time. You notice how he's trying to be humble there for a while, Sharon. No, but, but no, hold on. Hold on a second. That's why he was able to handle New York, and, that, and that's why he was so good with the Yankees, because you have to be like that. You have to have that quiet confidence in you if you're going to be successful with the Yankees. And Nelly had that. And, and as a Yankee fan back then, uh, watching those games and seeing Nelly come in the game, you never rolled your eyes and said, here we go again. You were like, oh, here comes three outs or here comes the big out that, that Joe Torre and this team needs when he came through the fence and, and walked to the mound or jogged to the mound lately. But you know, yeah. I always had, yeah. yeah, I always had the mentality. It's funny because I would never teach this. And, you know, Mel Stoudemire, late Mel Stoudemire would say, you know, he hated me doing it and thinking this way. But I always loved the heat of the moment. I couldn't stand, once I got there, I couldn't stand sitting and watching. I wanted to be in every every tight situation. I wanted to pitch every time. You hear stories about, oh, Joe Torre didn't do a great job with this reliever, or, you know, he overworked this reliever. And Mike Stanton, myself, and Graham Lloyd, was, you know, Mendoza, we didn't have a problem with it. I mean, we handled everything that he threw at us. But I went out there with the mentality, I wanted to strike everyone out. I don't care how many pitches it took, I just wanted to strike them out. I didn't like any kind of contact, because I always thought if they have contact or if they make contact, 
then they have a chance to get a hit. And, and I didn't like it. So, uh, you know, that was my mentality every time I took the ball. Sharon, we can't do it because of copyrights, but this is where we answered uh, the bad to the bone music after he said that. But he was, he was. And I just have one more. And that's, and this might be weird for you, Nelly, but I think I- Another weird one. I think I've told you this in the past. I want to see if anybody else did, but I, I, my right hand to God, my younger brother, Michael and I, uh, when, when you were on the Yankees, we used to go on our side yard to just throw. Uh, he's a catcher. I'm a pitcher. And we used to throw, but we used to both stand up and we used to imitate your motion and your slider. We can never get it obviously, but we, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So anybody else ever tell you that they used to sit on their side yard and throw and try to mimic your uh, delivery? They did. And, you know, a lot of them, when you had those video games and I was on the video games and I, I, you know, I never really saw myself on the video game yet. I want to, but they probably don't exist anymore. But they said, oh, you know, we used to throw you all the time, but you never lasted very long. I'm like, well, you know, only an inning, two innings and that's about (laughs) it. And that's all I lasted anyway. That's why I became a reliever. (laughs) But, uh, but no, you know, you get that every once in a while. And and everybody asked you, said, oh, how do you, how'd you throw that? How, you know, Mo, how do you throw your cutter? So, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty flat. This is the part where I joke and say the not lasting long, and I could go on and on about that. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Well, end- I don't have a problem with that part <laughs> anymore. I'm gonna end the Q and J. We're not gonna last any longer on the Q and J. We'll end it on that. See, I heard it, and I was gonna let it go, and then Jake had to say something. The immature well, I was side gonna of me. Add to that, but I was like, ah, oh, you know, it's a family show, so I better not. <laughs> He spent six seasons with the Yankees from 1977 to 1982. He's a two-time World Series champion in 1977 and 1978. He has a middle name up in Boston that rhymes with ducking. It's Bucky Dent. Bucky, how are you? Thanks for joining us, pal. Glad to be on, man. I'm, I'm doing great, and uh, I love that middle initial. And actually where, I moved, <laughs> actually, where I moved to, I got a couple of Red Sox fans on both sides of me, so I'm loving it. Uh, that's <laughs> That's got to be great. I, I got to tell you, Bucky, I, I, I was growing up, uh, I was like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old when you were with the Yankees. And uh, I got to say, when you got, when you left and you went to Texas, I was pissed off because after you hit that home run in 78, I, I got to tell you, every summer we played wiffle ball, any home run that left the yard, you were Bucky Dent, little choked up on the bat, and you were sending it over the wall. And there you go. You know, that. and uh, when I was growing up, my guy was Mickey Mantle, but there was nobody more pissed off than going to Texas than me in 82 when I got traded over there. You know, one of the greatest moments was when I got traded from Chicago, you know, to New York, because that was my team I always wanted to play for. But, you know, then something happened. They wound up trading me in 82, and that was a uh, Really um, a big disappointment, but, you know, I, I went down to Texas to make the best out of it. But, uh, yeah, I was really disappointed. You know, Bucky, take us through that moment a little bit because it was a broken bat. I mean, what would you switch bats? I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, that day was a beautiful day. And, and you know, that game was such, you know, pressure. It's the most pressure I've ever played in a game. And, you know, before the game, I, I was struggling a little bit. And uh, I think I was in like a 0 for 21 or something like that. And, uh, and Mickey and I were standing by the batting cage. And I said, hey, homie, let me use your bat today. Uh, let me try it. So I took it in the cage and I took a couple swings. And one of them, I cracked it right under the tape. You know, we used to tape our bat kind of the same 
And so I didn't think anything of it. And so in the seventh inning, when I came up, I had worn a guard all year because of my leg. I fouled the ball off in spring training, had a blood clot, but I didn't wear it that day. So when I came up facing Torres, he threw me a sinker in and I fouled the ball off my ankle. And we didn't have any more infielders. You know, we only had 24 guys. Randolph was hurt, so he couldn't play. So I went back and a thing was killing me, you know. And so Mickey kind of wandered over as I started to get the feeling back in. He goes, hey, homie, you got the wrong back. That one's cracked. And I wasn't paying attention to him. So I started to walk back up to home plate. And the bat boy came up and said, hey, Mickey said, take this bat. That one's cracked. So I just grabbed the bat, went up and got in the box and tore us through a fastball a little bit middle down. And I hit it. I never did see the ball go out because there was a shadow. Uh, when I rounded uh, first base, I saw the umpire signal was a home run. And it was probably you know, the greatest moments that I ever had, you know, I mean, like you say, you know, you dream as a kid in the backyard, you know, hitting home runs and I got an opportunity to do it. In one of the greatest games I ever played. Yeah. We, we would, uh, we would actually uh, imitate that in the backyard. Actually, you know, you always want to be in those situations down, whatever, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, you throw the game winning touchdown, you hit the game winning home run as you did Bucky and uh, the eventual game-winning home run. What was that? You didn't know that you got it when you hit it? What, what did it feel like coming off the bat when you hit it? No, I, I knew I hit it pretty good, but I didn't know if it was high enough to get out. And I knew I was in a bin the go-ahead run. So anytime you hit a ball or a line or in Fenway, you got to run hard to get, a, you know, get the second because if they field it off the wall, you know, you can hold you to a single. So I was running hard. And then, you know, I looked up and I, I saw the signal there was a home run. Then I looked and I saw Yastrzemski, his legs were buckled at the wall, you know. And, you know, rounding second base, you know, I'll never forget how quiet Fenway Park was. And it was like they were in shock. And then as I got to home plate, as I got to home plate, you know, I could see, you know, George and everybody in the box and you could hear a sprinkle of Yankee fans cheering. But it was it was something that, you know, it's hard to explain the like euphoria that you have, you know, as as doing something like that. But I, I didn't really make a big deal out of it because we we had three more innings and anything could happen in Fenway. So I just said, Oh God, we're ahead, let's go. You know, Bucky, we do these fantasy camps and we've done them together and Mike Torres actually does them because he pitched for the Yankees. Me as a pitcher, I mean, I always remember who I've given up home runs to. I've never really given them up home runs in that kind of moment. But I can't, I, you know, it always when I see them, I, it's still today, it haunts me. You see, Mike, we, when we're in the same clubhouse, same locker room, and you hit that big home run off. And what, have you guys ever talked about that? I mean, what, not you, you're in his book. You, you got, you got ups on him. <laughs> we, 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 you know, we talk about, we joke about it now. You know, I mean, it's. It's been so long, like 40-something years, you know. But, you know, we played together in 77. We were teammates. And, you know, he was on our he was on the mound in game six when we won the, the championship. And, uh, you know, it was a little frosty, you know, first couple years after I hit it. And, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, everybody started talking about, you know, we're Bobby Thompson, Ralph Branca. And, and the more stuff that we did, you know, uh, the tension kind of – kind of left and now we're, we're really good friends you know we do a lot of stuff together and talk to each other you know quite a bit you know and and, and really he's a great guy and I tell you what he's ha he's handled it like a like a pro and the thing that amazes me in our conversations is the Red Sox have never invited him back for any kind of function in Fenway and I find that a little really uh, wow. you know, a little crazy yeah you know, I mean, when he said that, I said, come on. He goes, no, nope, I've never, ever invited me back for any kind of function. And I, I thought that was kind of, you know, kind of ridiculous. 
Talking with the 1978 World Series MVP and three-time All-Star in 1975, 80, and 81, Bucky Dent. Bucky, there were a lot of peaks and valleys in that 1978 season. You came back from 14 games behind the Boston Red Sox. You had three managers that year, Billy Martin, uh, Dick Hauser for a game, and then Bob Lemon. Uh, you had the Reggie Jackson and Billy Martin going back and forth. You had Billy saying something about George Steinbrenner during the season. How, how challenging was it? to get there and overtake the Red Sox with all this drama going on. If social media was present in 1978, I mean, Twitter would have been run by the Bronx uh, Zoo. It would have been. Come on. It would have been on fire if we had Twitter <laughs> back then. Fire, Facebook, all that stuff, you know. I mean, it would have been on fire. But, you know, it, it was challenging, more challenging because we had guys hurt at the beginning of the year. You know, I I missed a lot of games. I Hurt my leg, you know, in spring training. Then I pulled a hamstring. A catfish was having shoulder problems. I think Mickey was out. A couple more guys were, were out. But as we got healthy, then we started to put together, you know, winning streaks. You know, our solid guy that year was Ron Guidry. He was phenomenal. Cy Young, and he was just dominating. We knew we were going to win every fifth game. But all this stuff off the field really didn't affect us. Uh, I think the injuries did more, but I think the one thing that really helped us is when they did fire Billy because everything calmed down. You know, Bob Lemon walked in the clubhouse and he says, look, you guys are world champions. Go out and play like them. Just relax and play the game. And it was almost like somebody popped a balloon in the, in the clubhouse and you kind of just relax. Plus, the papers were on strike. They went on strike. So there wasn't all that negativity stuff being written. And you could just kind of like think about just going out and playing baseball. We started to put together win streaks, three out of four, four out of five. And as we got closer to Boston in September, we played them seven times and we knew we would catch them then. Now, what was that like in the beginning when Billy was there? I mean, it had to be, okay, what's going to happen now? I mean, you go in the clubhouse and there's always something new. I mean, how did you guys deal with that? There was always something going on. You know, in 77, you know, we had uh, – uh, son of Sam, we had so many things going on in 77 and we managed to win. And, you know, the one thing I can say about that team was they were a little immune that when they went on the field, they went on the field to beat you. And nothing got in the way of as far as winning and what our goal was, was to repeat as champions. That team, uh, as I always said, when you play in New York, you got to have alligator skin. Well, they had big time alligator skin because those guys were true professionals. And when they went on the field, they went on the field to beat you. Bucky, uh, June 17th, 1978, you weren't in the lineup that day, but uh, Ron Guidry, that was his 18 strikeout game. Since you brought up Gator, I just, and you just said alligator. <laughs> so it made me think of that on, on June 17th. How in the zone was he in that game and how ridiculous was it to watch that happen? Well, he was electric. You know, I was, I was at the game watching. I just wasn't playing and he was electric, man. And that's when, Every time he got two strikes, people started to stand up and cheer. I remember watching that, you know, and going, oh, my God. Guys were just – they were just trying to foul the ball off. I mean, I mean, he was just overpowering that night. And electricity from the crowd, I think, kept him pumped up and kept him going. And he, he was just amazing to watch that night. You know, Bucky, I know you watch a lot. I mean, especially we were in, you know, fantasy, I mean, fantasy camps, and you're always talking about the, the current Yankees. Uh, what do you think about them? What do you think about their chances this year, what they've done in the winter? I mean, one championship in the last 20 years just doesn't seem like a, a Yankee team. Uh, what do you, what's your take on this year's team? 
Well, you know, Wellwicker, one of their games a couple weeks ago, and, you know, I, I thought last year, you know, that they had a, a, a team to do it all. It seems like they keep getting a little bit closer, a little bit closer, and, you know, they just got to be able to get over that hump. And when they got Cole, I thought that that was a guy that was going to put them over the hump. But, you know, I've always – and people yell at me and whatever, you know, I always say – you got to have balance with left-handed power. That when you go into playoffs and you face dominant right-handed guys like they faced over the years, Verlander, Cole when he was in Houston gave them trouble. You know they have they're pretty much right-handed. And and I said in the history of the Yankees, they've never won a World Championship without left-handed power. And everybody, oh, that's not true. We got guys that can hit the ball in right center field. But you know I, I think if anything that over the last few years has been probably something that, that I've looked at and maybe not many people have taken notice, but I think I just love to watch some of their guys play. You know, I love to watch Gio. I love to watch LeMahieu play. I mean, those guys are really, you know, true, true professionals. I, I think they got it all. And I think this year is probably the year that I think that can, uh, you know, stop that losing streak. Well, Jeff and I were just talking in the previous segment, Bucky, uh, if uh, Jay Bruce was going to make the team. I think you just answered that question because they do need a left-handed power bat, especially in the postseason. And Bruce could definitely bring that to the table. Uh, He could opt out on March 25th in three days. But I I, I tend to think, and so does Nelly, that he'll be on this club. Well, I think he's a professional hitter. You know, he was a young kid when I was in Cincinnati coaching for Jerry Naren in 06 and 07. He was a he was just a baby coming up then, you know, but he you could tell that he was he was going to be a good hitter and he's a professional guy. He's that guy, you know, with that short porch and stuff like that. Well, he's a guy that works count. I, I think that he would help them and he's had a pretty good spring. So Maybe that's one of the guys, you know, I'm glad to see Gardner come back. I love watching him play, too. I think he's just, you know, a, a true professional in the way he plays and uh, the energy and, you know, in the clubhouse. I think he's he's just a, a perfect guy. Bucky, I just got one for you here. In 2003, Green Monster seats were added to Fenway Park, and you had the audacity to sit in a Green Monster seat in the first game, and no fans heckled you? There was no bothering? Can you take us through that first game at Fenway in the Green Monster seats? <laughs> Well, I was managing the Columbus Clippers, and we had an off day in Pawtucket. And Sports Illustrated, I think, was or New York Times, one of them was writing an article, and they wanted me to go sit up in the in the seats. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm in. Let's go," you know. And they tried to get the seats where I hit the home run, but they were a few seats down. And I thought it was just awesome to sit up there. I mean, if you'd have told me that it had seats up there 25 years later, I'd tell you you're nuts. But they built them. And it's one of the neatest places to watch the game because you feel you're right behind the shortstop. So in the first inning, Garcia Pera hit a home run just to the left of where we were at. And it was like, geez, this is so cool sitting up here, you know? I mean, uh, but there's a guy sitting right next to us that they bought the tickets from. And uh, I didn't say anything at first. And then he kind of looked at me and he goes, you're lucky, aren't you? And I go, yeah. He goes, how was it that game back then? You know, I, I know. <laughs> and I said, we're good to go, right? And he, he started laughing, you know. Security! And, uh, I, I, yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, you're right. Am I going to have to, we're going to duke it out right here in left field now? He, he started laughing, you know. And he says, no, but you broke my heart and you ruined my life, you know, and all that stuff. We, we had a good time. And it was a lot of fun sitting up there. I mean, if you haven't 
gone up there, you have to go up there. I know, Jeff, you've been up there, haven't you? Yeah, no, I have not been up there. I've been in the Monster, and I've signed my name a couple times because uh, I think they've every once in a while they'll erase Yankee signatures if you go in there and sign the wall. But yeah, no, I don't do. think I, I don't think I'd fare too well up in there. I actually sat up there once. My dad won an auction, and I sat up there, and I think it ended up being Kurt Schilling's like two hundredth win or something. Uh, oh, really? And I got to go in the dugout, you know, hold the David Ortiz bag. I got to watch batting practice on the field. But he, Bucky's right; it is probably the best place to watch a game at Fenway. It is awesome. You know, because the dugouts were so small and we had such media, you know, the, the presence, I would sit in the stands before we would stretch. And I don't know how the people in, in Boston sit in the stands because I could not put my knees, you know, sit up straight. My knees were, uh, my feet were off the ground because the seats are so close together there. They're awful. I mean, I've sat in a, a few games, you know, over the years, you know, going to playoff games and stuff like They're awful. They are so close. So, you know, that's why, you know, sitting up in the monster. But that game, Clements was, was pitching, I remember. And uh, he would have been going, he would have been going for 300. I think he lost the game or the game before. That, but, you know, it was, it was really exciting to, you know, to sit up there and have Garcia Perry hit one up there in the first inning. I was like, oh, crap, you know, this is, this is cool. Yeah, if memory serves me correct, I think Stanton hit one to the monster seats and someone threw the ball back at him. I could just imagine. And hit him. Uh, yeah. It I, bounced and it bounced in the dirt I, and hit him. I could just imagine what, what would have been thrown at you <laughs> if somebody was up there after that home run. Well, I, I, actually, I tried to get the ball when I hit the ball and, you know, for the home run. But they had, you know, back then, so many balls went in the net. And they couldn't, they couldn't find the one. So I didn't want to just say, hey, this is the one I hit. That wouldn't have been right. So I never got the ball. Bucky, another random one for you because I just reading up on you. Were, were you in the edition of Playgirl magazine in 1983? No, yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell, wow. tell, tell me more, please. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's got to yeah. be a story behind that. Bucky, come on, man. No, they, they just called and asked me to do it. And I said, yeah, okay, I will. You know, I would, I would seem to let the time crazy. <laughs> got to find this picture somewhere on the internet. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> Nelly, Nelly, were you ever asked or no? Oh, heck no. <laughs> I mean, but the visions that I have right now, are not, I, I, I wanna, I wanna, I'm throwing up in my mouth right now. Because of yeah, I can't find it anywhere. I just Googled it, and I cannot find Bucky Dent. Why Flaker. would you Google that? Well, listen, Why? I mean, he is clothes on in it. He's not naked in he's, the picture. Oh, my God. No, Jake. No, no. Bucky, no. thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, and you're thank welcome, you. man. Thank you for admitting that you were in Playgirl in 1983. That was tremendous. Um, uh, listen, Bucky did six seasons with the Yankees. Again, I'll say it again. I was pissed off when, when you were traded to Texas. Two-time World Series champion in 77 and 78. 78 World Series MVP, three-time All-Star. We appreciate the time, Bucky, and hopefully we get to talk to you down the line as well. Hey, thank you. Good to talk to you guys, and thanks for having me on. That seals the deal on episode 39, the Mike Talkman or Daryl Strawberry edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and the new guy, Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Give Pinstripe Pod a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the support. 
For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We are back next Monday for our big season preview show with special guest star, Nick Swisher. Swishalicious. Opening day is almost here. Talk to you then, everybody.